0: Hello and welcome to the reading of the Mason City Globe Gazette and Fort Dodge Messenger for Monday, February 5th, 2024. I'm your reader, Mary Francis, and you are listening to IRIS, the Iowa Radio Reading Information Service for the Blind and print Handicapped. We'll do about a half an hour of the Globe Gazette um, and then about a half an hour of the Fort Dodge Messenger. On the front page of the Gazette this morning, headline, U.S. warns Iran of further retaliation. And then there's a photo of a British Royal Air Force aircraft preparing to conduct strikes against targets in Yemen on Saturday. And then the only local story on the front page of the messenger is, or excuse me, of the Globe Gazette is Iowa DOT will keep humor in roadside safety messages. And there's a photo of the highway, and there's a DOT LED sign above it, and the words read Excuse for not buckling question mark bet it's a real killer. And this is from Nick Hytrek of Sioux City Journal. The Iowa Department of Transportation has no plans to stop telling drivers to keep their heads out of their apps or anything else that might distract them while behind the wheel. Recent recommendations from federal highway administrators urging states to stop using funny or snarky messages on roadside message boards likely won't keep Iowa DOT officials from using a little humor, such as the infamous, get your head out of your apps message from a few years ago, to drive home the importance of safe driving. Quote, we're using our judgment and data to continue with the program as it is, said Willie Sorensen, an IDOT traffic safety engineer, who's one of the people behind a program that comes up with the short safety blurbs displayed every Friday on approximately 80 message boards across Iowa. Known as Roadside Chat, the program began in August of 2013, aiming to increase awareness of traffic fatalities and advocate for safe driving practices that can prevent them. Every week, an updated traffic death total is posted on the message boards and alternates every few seconds with a safety-themed message that about 80% of the time addresses four main safety driving, safe driving topics. They are distracted driving, aggressive driving and speeding, seat belts, and impaired driving. The other 20% include awareness of school buses, snow plows, trains, bicycles, deer, construction zones and other topics. Messages often contain pop culture references like, is this heaven, no it's Iowa, drive safely in a nod to the movie Field of Dreams. Some are a little more blunt, like a recent one asking, excuse for not buckling, bet it's a real killer. Others are just plain funny, like the aforementioned get your head out of your apps, while encouraging drivers to stay off their phone while driving. Or another popular one, informing motorists of upcoming construction-related lane closures by telling them, shift happens. Those last two are the kind the Federal Highway Administration apparently does not like. Critics call the messages distracting or insensitive to families who have experienced traffic deaths. Quote, I guess the new signs attract attention, but are too distracting. Not a fan, one driver commented on the IDOT website in 2023. Sorensen said the IDOT is not making light of traffic fatalities, but hopes a catchy message may stick in drivers' minds longer reminding them to drive safely and help reduce the approximately 350 traffic deaths that occur in the state each year. We don't think fatalities are funny. We're using humor to get a safety message across, Sorensen said. The longevity of some messages is a real thing. Transportation planner Dakin Schultz, who works in the IDOT District 3 office in Sioux City, said he can't remember when it ran, but he chuckles when he thinks of a past message that used an often quoted line from the popular baseball movie, The Sandlot. Not buckled, you're killing me, Smalls, still comes to mind when he passes under the message board on his drive into the office. Quote, if there's a good one, some of them will generate conversation, he said. Frankly, considering our mission, it's a departure in a way. All our messages are serious, and it's still serious in a way, but it's presented in a humorous way. I always look forward to seeing what the message is. As for the messages being a distraction, Sorensen said, the argument can be made that anything, other drivers, scenery, regular road signs, can be a distraction while driving. After more than 10 years, he said, there hasn't been one crash in Iowa attributed to the message boards. No one has come back to me and said they had a crash because of our message, he said. Are the messages achieving the mission of reducing unsafe driving? IDOT officials will probably never know. You cannot count the fatality accidents that don't happen, Sorensen said. But that doesn't mean you cannot put a smile on someone's face while reminding them to put down the phone or take their foot off the gas pedal. Despite what federal regulators think, most drivers seem to prefer it that way, and the IDOT sees no reason to change a program that's proven to be popular, evidenced by the fact that about a third of them have been submitted to the public. Sorensen said at least 90% of the comments he receives, and he receives a lot, are positive. He suspects that some of the remaining 10% aren't going to appreciate any of them, regardless if they're funny or serious. Quote, I think it's because of our format. We're not doing boring messages, he said. If they don't like puppies and kittens on the internet, then they probably don't like our message boards either. Our mission here at Iris is try to focus, to try to focus on local news because you can get the national stuff, um, 24 hours a day from other sources. So our mission is to focus on the news you cannot get anywhere else. And, uh, that was the only kind of local story in the Monday paper. There are no local news or sports stories in the Sunday paper. So I am backing into the Saturday paper, February 3rd. Um, to get some local content for you. And on the front page, it shows uh, hundreds of attendees dancing during the opening night of the Surf Ballroom's Winter Dance Party Thursday. And the headline is, Celebration Returns, Event Marks 65th Anniversary of Holly's Last Performance. This is from Alexander Schmidt of the Globe Gazette. A long, long time from now, folks will still remember how the music at the surf ballroom used to make them smile. In kicking off the surf's annual winter dance party Thursday, surf ballroom and music, museum president Jeff Nichols articulated the surf's mission as, quote, a place to honor the past while embracing the future. This year marks the 65th anniversary of the plane crash that killed rock and roll pioneers Buddy Holly, Richie Valens, and J.P. Big Bopper Richardson after their February 2, 1959 performance at the Surf Ballroom. Local pilot Roger Peterson also died. The Surf has held the Winter Dance Party celebration annually since 1979, the 20th anniversary of the crash, immortalized in Don McLean's 1971 song, American Pie, as the day the music died. The weekend is jam-packed with activities, including dance and music lessons, record shows, tours, luncheons, and more. Quote, now who's planning on sticking around for the 100th anniversary? Nichols jested to the crowd before bringing out the weekend's opening act, The Killer Vs. The Killer Vs, known in the music business as the rhythm section to the stars, features brothers Jeff and Tommy V, who have been playing drums and doghouse bass, respectively, for almost 40 years on records for Little Richard, Jerry Lee Lewis, Paul McCartney, Ronnie Wood, Brian Setzer, Chuck Berry, Bill Medley, and their father Bobby B., who at age 15, filled in for Buddy Holly on the rest of the scheduled Midwestern tour dates after that plane crash in 1959. Eric and Jane Sassenfield of Blaine, Minnesota, years ago were on their way to Arkansas for a vacation when they heard about the surf ballroom's connection to the history of rock and roll. We've never been before, but we "'Thought it'd be a great place to spend our weekend and party,' Eric Sassenfeld Field said. "'They took a self-guided tour to the farm field about a half-mile from Clear Lake, "'where the 1959 crash occurred. "'A more memorial to the four victims stands there. "'Of course we watched La Bamba and the Buddy Holly story, "'and we have always had an appreciation for the old stuff, "'American graffiti-type music,' Sassenfield added. "'Thursday night,' The show continued with Chris Montez, Doty Stevens, and the Chiffons. Fontaine Walker of Cedar Rapids said he was in town for business and decided to spend his Thursday evening seeing the Chiffons at the surf. Quote, I was surprised to see the lineup of African-Americans that played here, said Walker. The surf's walls are lined with hundreds of autographed photographs of performers past, including Cab Calloway, Lionel Hampton, Louis Armstrong. The Emerald Room's walls boast signatures from the likes of Don McLean, Tony Orlando, Frankie Valli and the Four Seasons, Jeff Lynne, ELO, and the Oak Ridge Boys, E-L-O, that is, Electric Light Orchestra, the Oak Ridge Boys, Three Dog Night, and Barack Obama, to name a few. When I heard the Chiffons were playing, Walker said, I could not pass up the opportunity to see what they're all about. The Chiffons, with their trademark tight harmonies, high-stepping confidence, and songs like One Fine Day and Sweet Talkin' Guy are still staples of oldies radio today. Friday night's scheduled entertainment featured Rocky and the Rollers, with special guests Lala Brooks, The Voice of the Crystals, and Vita Pacone and the Elegance. Richie Lee and the Fabulous 50s will round out the evening. Saturday opened with Holy Rockarolas, who became instant winter dance party favorites several years ago when they thrilled a winter dance party luncheon. The surf's statement said, It continues, The high-energy trio performs classics from the 1950s and 60s. They become a main stage favorite at the annual event. Saturday's lineup will include Albert Lee's 80th birthday jam, featuring special guests from around the globe, including Lee. Lee, who grew up in London, has been active in the music industry since 1959 recording and performing with the likes of the Crickets, Holly's former backing band, the Everly Brothers, Eric Clapton, Willie Nelson, and Emmylou Harris. Albert has become synonymous with the Surf Ballroom's Winter Dance Party, said Shane Cooney, who is Winter Dance Party executive producer. This year, we received so many inquiries from his contemporaries wanting to come to Clear Lake to help celebrate Albert's birthday while making a pilgrimage to share their music from the Surf Ballroom stage. The original iteration of the surf ballroom, which opened in 1933 and burned down in 1946, was written about by the Globe Gazette in 1937. Proud are the lake residents to claim the city in which the surf ballroom, the melting pot of Midwest dancers, is located, the article read. And it continues, posed on the shore in a manner comparable to any cosmopolitan amusement, the waves of Clear Lake, lap the beach in rhythmic harmony with the tuneful strains of continental orchestras. And that was from the 1937 article in the Globe Gazette. Our next local story from Saturday's paper, Cerro Gordo County replaces outdoor warning sirens. Cerro Gordo County is installing 33 new outdoor warning sirens around the area to replace outdated equipment. The project is a culmination of nearly five years of work that started with former emergency management coordinator Steve O'Neill and is now being overseen by current coordinator Eric Whipple. In Iowa, the official cell phone application for emergency information is called Alert Iowa, a statewide notification system that allows for local officials to make emergency announcements. The system lets users choose which events they receive alerts for, minimizing unnecessary distractions. The $1.1 million project is an improvement and standardization effort that will be managed from the County Communications Center. Most weather alerts are issued by the National Weather Service, but at the Communications Center, dispatchers receive calls from certified storm spotters and can alert residents to an emergency even faster. Crews from KW Electric in Cedar Falls have been on the ground setting up new warning sirens right next to their predecessors. By installing new sirens before removing the old ones, the county maintains its ability to warn residents in the case of an emergency. K&W crew members Andrew Schomberger and Sam Schilling were taking out a retired siren at the North Iowa Area Community College campus Wednesday morning. We've got all the new ones in place and now we're out removing the old poles, Schomberger said. Whipple expects the sirens to be fully installed and retired poles removed by this spring. That could be done in a couple of weeks if the weather is right, but certainly by this spring the system will be operating as intended, he said. Residents who live near newly installed outdoor sirens may hear what Whipple refers to as a growl test. This test is a way to be sure a siren is operational without ramping it up all the way to its top Decibel level. During these tests, the siren will just barely begin to set off. The resulting sound is a low growl. At 10 a.m. on the first Tuesday of the month, all county sirens will sound in a countywide test. This test will occur every month, provided there is no severe weather. The warning si- sirens are typically used to alert residents of impending severe weather and are designed to be heard outdoors over a range of nearly one mile. They are meant to alert people engaged in outdoor activities of an emergency situation. They are not designed to be heard indoors. Residents are reminded to always have other methods of receiving emergency information through weather radios, television broadcasts, or cell phone alerts. The Cerro Gordo County Emergency Management has a Facebook page with timely information and safety tips. And Emergency Management Coordinator Eric Whipple can be reached by phone. And his number is 641-421-3151. Some more local news from Saturday's Globe Gazette. CG Public Health offering free at-home radon testing kits. Through March, the Cerro Gordo County Department of Public Health is offering free at-home radon test kits to those living in Cerro Gordo County to assist residents in identifying potential risks. According to a press release, CG Public Health's special initiative is intended to raise awareness about the dangers of radon gas and encourage residents to test their homes. Residents are encouraged to visit CG Public Health to pick up one of the free test kits, and they one per household. Radon is a colorless, tasteless, and odorless gas, and it's the second leading cause of lung cancer. According to the 2023 State of Lung Cancer Report, Iowa ranks as the 12th worst state in the country for new lung cancer cases. In 2023, Iowa reported approximately 61 new cases of lung cancer per 100,000 individuals, surpassing the national average of 54 cases per 100,000 individuals. Alarmingly, it is estimated that upwards of 70% of homes in Iowa have elevated radon levels. Tim Hitchcock, environmental health specialist at CG Public Health, emphasized the importance of testing, stating in the release that, quote, breathing in high levels of radon over time can raise your risk of lung cancer. The only way to know if your home has elevated radon levels is to test. Residents are encouraged to participate in the initiative and obtain a free radon test kit just by stopping by CG Public Health. You can contact the department on the internet and their website is cghealth.com for more information about radon testing and mitigation. Our next local story from Saturday's Globe Gazette, Mason City man arrested in 2022 Homicide Outside Waterloo Apartment Police have made an arrest in a 2022 shooting death outside a Waterloo apartment. Kayvon Latrell Anderson of Waterloo was found unresponsive with multiple gunshot wounds in a parking lot in the 200 block of Miriam Drive around 11.30 p.m. November 21, 2022. He was taken to a hospital and died a short time later. Thursday, Waterloo police arrested Eric Antoine Hamilton, age 23, of Mason City, for first-degree murder and felon in possession of a firearm. Bond was set at $1 million. A revolver was found near the shooting scene. Witnesses said Hamilton had lured Anderson to the area with the intent of killing him, according to court records. Hamilton denied being in Waterloo at the time of the slaying, but detectives found electronic evidence placing him in town, records state. The firearm was given to the FBI, which examined the weapon for DNA and found a mixture that included Hamilton's profile, the court records state. This isn't the first time Hamilton, a former Waterloo resident, has been arrested in a shooting. He was convicted of trafficking stolen weapons, criminal gang participation, and intimidation with a weapon in a 2019 incident where he allegedly shot at a rival gang member in the 300 block of Fowler street. No one was injured, but two vehicles were hit by gunfire. He was released from prison July, 2022, just months before the Miriam drive slaying. And then there are two photos that accompany this article. One is a mugshot of Hamilton and the other is a police crime tape scene Obviously, it's a shot of the outside of the Miriam Drive shooting scene. And more from Saturday's Globe Gazette. Uh, we only do this when there's no local news in the Monday or Sunday one. Uh, in the news, these are briefs. Gender identity protections remain. Iowa Republican lawmakers spiked a bill that would have removed gender identity from the state's Civil Rights Act, taking away discrimination protections from transgender people. Republicans on a subcommittee said the bill was dead after it was voted down three to zero. Hundreds of demonstrators packed the Iowa State Capitol Hallway on Wednesday, chanting and urging lawmakers to vote against the bill. Transgender Iowans said the bill was insulting and an attack on their rights. Representative Jeff Shipley, a Republican who introduced the bill, said it was intended to clear up what he saw as a poor definition of gender in Iowa code. Our next brief, income tax cuts floated. Iowa GOP lawmakers filed legislation this week that would put Iowa on a path to eliminate the individual income tax over several years. The Tax Policy Committee chairs in both chambers suggested the bill was, quote, the beginning. And may not be passed this year. Republicans said in the near term they will focus on increasing and speeding up the existing flat tax cut. Our next brief man charged with hate crime for Satanic Temple vandalism. A former congressional candidate from Mississippi who admitted to destroying a statue as part of a display at the Iowa Capitol by the Satanic Temple of Iowa has been charged with a hate crime. Michael Cassidy. Age 36 from Lauderdale, Mississippi, faces a third-degree mischief charge for destroying the statue, which the group estimated to cost three thousand dollars. And more briefs from the uh, Week in Iowa page, and it says a recap of news across the state from the past seven days. Big photo shows um, a group of people at the state house, and the caption, and they're holding up signs and and pieces of paper, and the caption reads, LGBTQ rights supporters rally in the hallway outside an Iowa House Judiciary Subcommittee hearing on Wednesday, where Iowa lawmakers declined to advance a bill that would strip gender identity from the state's civil rights law and risk subjecting LGBTQ plus Iowans to discrimination in education, housing, and public spaces. In the they said column, quote, we need to just step back and start to ask some of those questions with the overall objective of making sure that we're doing everything we can to get these kids with disabilities the education that they deserve and hopefully see better outcomes. And that quote from Iowa Governor Kim Reynolds on a bill to overhaul the area education agencies. And our next quote is from Senator Molly Donahue. Democrat Cedar Rapids on the Reynolds AEA bill and that senator writes there is no flexibility in this bill It takes local control away from our schools and our districts 133 times If you're unhappy with the administrative costs then deal with the administrative costs, but don't throw the whole baby out with the bathwater Next little column of briefs is odds and ends. First one is Iowa football reports Iowa football will self-report An NCAA violation after a Hawkeye staffer texted former Alabama offensive tackle Caden Proctor during the 2023 season. Proctor transferred from Alabama to Iowa this year after Alabama head coach Nick Saban announced his retirement. Next brief here gender balanced boards. A bill in the Iowa legislature would remove the requirement that Iowa boards and commissions have an equal number of men and women. Supporters of the bill say the requirement is no longer necessary, while opponents say the bill would take women out of positions of power. Our next section of briefs is called Water Cooler. First one is Death Penalty. Iowa Republican lawmakers advanced a bill on Monday to reinstate the death penalty in Iowa for someone who kills a police officer. The crime would need to meet a number of criteria before A person is eligible to be sentenced to death and then the next brief there immigration bills Republican lawmakers are considering bills that would revoke in-state tuition from undocumented immigrants and make them ineligible for public assistance one bill would also introduce the crime of smuggling of persons making it illegal to transport or harbor undocumented immigrants and conceal them from police Next section is called In the News. In the first brief here, Governor's AEA bill falters. A bill proposed by Iowa Governor Kim Reynolds to overhaul the state's area education agencies that provide special education to students across the state hit its first roadblock to becoming law when House Republican lawmakers declined to advance it out of a subcommittee on Wednesday. They said they wanted to, quote, further conversations before taking more action. Senate Republicans, meanwhile, moved the bill onto the Education Committee, but they said it will see more changes moving forward. Parents of children with disabilities said during the meetings that they were concerned that the proposal would weaken special education opportunities in the state. Next brief, Reynolds goes to Texas border. Iowa Governor Kim Reynolds will visit the southern border at Eagle Pass, Texas on Sunday to join Governor Greg Abbott, along with a slew of other GOP governors. The visit comes as Abbott remains in a standoff with President Joe Biden over border and immigration enforcement. In our last little brief, private school enrollment up. Two-thirds of the Iowa students who received $7,600 in private school assistance this school year already attended private school. Um, according to figures released by the governor's office last week. Private school enrollment increased by 7.4% this year, while public school enrollment declined slightly. Now I'll turn to obituaries from the Globe Gazette. There were no obituaries for Monday or Sunday's paper. This one's from Saturday. Uh, Dateline Osage. Phyllis J. Moss, age 88, of Osage, passed away Wednesday, January 31, at the Faith Lutheran Home in Osage. Funeral service, Tuesday, February 6, 11 a.m., at Trinity Lutheran Church in Osage. Burial will follow at the Osage Cemetery. Visitation, Monday, today, February 5, 4-6 to 6 p.m., at the Trinity Lutheran Church in Osage, and visitation will resume one hour prior to her service on Tuesday, so that would be 10 a.m. Joyce Marie Toppin, age 89, passed away Wednesday, January 31, at Mercy One North Iowa Medical Center. Uh, funeral service, Wednesday, February 7th, um, with visitation from 10 to 11, and then the service at 11, at the hogan Bremer moore Colonial Chapel in Mason City. And now we'll turn to the opinion page. There were no opinions on Sunday or Monday, so again, I'm going back to the Saturday paper. Our first opinion comes from Kathy Carter of Rockford. And Kathy writes, More Iowa landowners, colon, are you ready for a dangerous CO2 pipeline to go through your land, through your backyard? across the fence from you, your home, your school, your business, your hospital, near your community. Summit Carbon Solutions is attempting to expand its range. Recently, Poet signed a partnership. Those sites would extend Summit's footprint into at least seven new counties in Iowa, but the precise routes of those extensions are not yet clear. Quote, the company could not immediately provide an estimate of how many additional miles of pipe will be required. The new locations are near Arthur, Ashton, Coon Rapids, Corning, Emmitsburg, Fairbank, Gowrie, Hanlon Town, Iowa Falls, Jewell, Menlo, and Shell Rock, For those of you who said, it's not happening here, or I'm glad it's you and not me, well, even if you don't care about the pipeline and the huge dangers of CO2 at 2100 PSI, do you care about having water in the future? Each of these facilities will require huge amounts of additional water from Iowa's water sources. Huge, as in billions of gallons of water each year. Wake up, Iowans. Tell your legislators no. And that was from Kathy Carter of Rockford. Our next letter comes from Denise Wild of Mason City. And Denise writes, All children deserve to receive a quality education and the services they need to reach their full potential. Governor Reynolds' plan to dismantle the Area Education Association will be detrimental to our children. The support it provides to those with special needs is critical to their development and well-being. The counseling services they offer are extremely important due to Iowa's poor access to mental health services for children. The AEA was right there to provide counseling services after the school shooting in Perry. It's unfortunate that our educational system here in Iowa Is being driven out of state or is being driven by out of state entities that are not focused on the needs of Iowa's children. Hiring out of state consultants to know what is best for Iowans is not in our kids' best interest. The current director of education has no real public education experience and was brought in to focus on privatization of schools and not to improve and support public education. How is the Department of Education able to come up with such a comprehensive plan to replace those services without any prior experience in many of those fields, many of which require certification? The AEA is run by professionals who work as a well-coordinated team. Putting a parent or individual school in charge of finding providers for situations they have no expertise in is a recipe for disaster and a disservice to children if there were concerns in regards to the AEA why were they not consulted first in regards to changes and improvements the governor deemed necessary instead of dismantling a valuable program that teachers and parents rely on public schools have been underfunded for many years and now schools with or, and now with school vouchers will have less money to spend we should be investing in our children's future Stop Cuts to the AEA, and that was from Denise Wild of Mason City. And our next opinion comes from Dana Wickwire-Cheek of Garner, and Dana writes, Reynolds' AEA assertions are wrong. As a mother of a child with special needs who graduated from the school system, I understand firsthand the importance of services through Iowa AEA for students and their families. The Governor was wrong when she alluded to the AEA system being inefficient or ineffective. Parts of Iowa's AEA system have been through accreditation. For many families, the AEA system has helped students and families receive needed educational supports when the local school did not support them or could not support them. For the teachers with whom I have spoken, the professional development services from AEA have been excellent and, over the last year, their professional development services have been essential for implementing the new state policies. The special education services offered by the AEA are essential for rural school districts to access special services. These services are specific to the development of children in the academic setting and the preparation for their transition to adulthood. Such context makes it crucial for the providers of these services to have unique training and peer support that emphasizes children's development. The governor's revisions to her original plan are still detrimental to the AEA system that means so much to Iowa's children. I ask Governor Reynolds and all legislators to step back and do a comprehensive study of the AEA system, which must include interviews with students and families receiving special educational services and teachers throughout the state. You should not fix a system that is not broken, nor Dismantle one that provides so much to so many. Please complete a comprehensive study before making any changes. Please, Iowa legislators, vote no to HSB 542 and SSB 3073. And that was from Dana Wickwire Cheek of Garner. We're a little past the halfway point of today's reading of the Mason City Globe Gazette and Fort Dodge Messenger on IRIS, the Iowa Radio Reading Information Service for the blind and print handicapped. Now we'll open up the Fort Dodge Messenger and see what we've got. And from the Saturday, Sunday edition of the Fort Dodge Messenger, on the front page there's a large photo of the Cargill plant, located at the Iowa crossroads of global innovation just west of Fort Dodge. The headline is Mega Incentives. Proposal would support investments worth $1 billion. This is from Bill Shea of the Messenger. The Ag Industrial Park in Webster County may someday benefit from state legislation intended to attract projects worth $1 billion or more to Iowa. The bill would create the Major Economic Growth Attraction Program, simply referred to as MEGA. The Iowa Economic Development Authority asked the legislature to pass a bill that would help it secure such large projects, according to State Senator Tim Cryenbrink, Republican of Fort Dodge. He said there are a couple of specific projects the bill is intended to support, but added that he is not at liberty to discuss them. The Senate passed the bill last year. This year, it has been approved by a subcommittee in the House of Representatives and awaits action by the House Ways and Means Committee. State Representative Ann Meyer, a Republican of Fort Dodge, said it is expected to pass. Quote, we are excited to see this mega-site incentive bill being championed at the State House," said Astra Ferris, who is Chief Executive Officer at the Greater Fort Dodge Growth Alliance. Quote, This is an amazing opportunity to help create even more opportunities and economic vitality for the Fort Dodge region, region, she added. The bill provides various tax incentives. It also prohibits any country that is adversarial to the United States from participating. Brink said, That the state government in recent years has reduced the number of tax credits it offers but he added it still has not reduced the corporate income tax enough to make the state inviting for really big investments quote corporate income tax wise we're not where we need to be he said the mega program tax breaks are intended to overcome that situation according to the senator those incentives include a full refund of sales, service, and use taxes paid during construction and a refundable investment tax credit of up to 5% of the capital investment. The state's restrictions on foreign partnership of land would not apply for projects that meet the mega criteria and would be located at a certified site. Quote, I think what we in Iowa are concerned about is foreign countries coming in and buying up farmland, Brink said. And he continued, they're not buying farmland, they're buying a spot to put a company on, unquote. Allowing foreign ownership of land was a concern for House Republicans when they received the bill from the Senate near the end of the 2023 legislative session, according to Meyer. She said that's why they did not advance the bill last year. She said the bill allows only countries that are free, friendly to the United States to own land and receive incentives through the Mega program. And then there's a box that has a list of the requirements. It's a bullet list. I'll read it to you and it says to qualify for tax incentives under the proposed Mega program, projects must bullet be worth more than 1 billion in capital investment, next, be related to advanced manufacturing, bioscience or research, next, create jobs that pay at least of the labor-shed wage as defined by state law. Next, offer employees a qualified benefits plan. Next, projects that meet these requirements can receive, and then there's another set of bullets, a refund of sales, service, and use taxes during construction, a refundable investment tax credit of up to 5% of the capital investment, and a withholding tax credit. Next story from the front page of the Saturday-Sunday Messenger. Reward for finding Sac County Man is now $25,000. David Schultz was reported missing on November 21. It's been 75 days since David Schultz of Lakeview was last seen by his family. Schultz was reported missing November 21 after he didn't deliver a trailer load of pigs to a hog buying station near Sac City as planned. A $25,000 reward is now being offered for information on the man's disappearance. According to the minutes from the January 23rd meeting of the SAC County Board of Supervisors, County Attorney Ben Smith and Sheriff Ken McClure requested $25,000 of American Rescue Plan funds to use as a reward for information leading to the location of Schultz. The request was unanimously approved and the reward money will be available through November, quote, due to ARP regulations, according to the meeting minutes. Previously, the Sac County Sheriff's Office shared on its Facebook page on December 26th that the Sac County Crime Stoppers Organization had been reorganized and a $2,000 reward was being offered for information related to Schultz's disappearance. David Schultz, Described as a 53-year-old white male, approximately 5 foot 11, 180 pounds, brown hair and brown eyes, he was last known to be wearing Wrangler blue jeans, cowboy boots, and a Peterbilt hat. According to Schultz's wife, Sarah, he left home the night before to drive to a hog confinement near Eagle Grove to pick up the pigs. Investigators learned that David Schultz was late to arrive at the hog confinement and was the last truck loaded, leaving the site at 10.50 p.m. Security footage shows David Schultz stopped at the marker 126 Travel Center on U.S. Highway 20, east of Fort Dodge, for 16 minutes, around 11.15 p.m. Except for a a brief few seconds on an Iowa Department of Transportation camera on U.S. Highway 20, that's the last known sighting of David Schultz. David Schultz's cell phone data shows he arrived at the junction of U.S. Highways 20 and 71 at 1218 a.m. and began heading north, according to the SAC County Sheriff's Office. Around 3 p.m. on November 21, his truck and trailer were found, quote, parked on the travel portion of the road at the intersection of 190th Street and Union Avenue. That's northeast of SAC City. David Schultz's cell phone data suggests The truck had been there since 12.40 a.m. that morning, McClure said in a release. David Schultz's semi was shut off, and Sac County deputies found his wallet and cell phone inside. Nothing was missing from the wallet, and the load of hogs was still in the trailer. Video surveillance from near Weichmann Hog Buying Station shows that David Schultz never made it there for the drop-off. The immediate area was searched on foot and with a canine and an Iowa State Patrol air wing unit, um, they were dispatched to use forward-looking infrared to try to detect a heat signature that would be consistent with a person, but nothing was located. The ground search was expanded over the next two days with law enforcement, firefighters, and volunteers searching on foot and using drones. The United Cajun Navy a nonprofit organization that helps with search and rescue also joined the search, bringing even more volunteers. According to the Sac County Sheriff's Office, more than 100,000 acres have been searched by volunteers as of Friday. David Schultz remains missing. A GoFundMe has been created to help support his wife and children during this time, and that's at the website is GoFundMe slash. BF0031A0. The Iowa Division of Criminal Investigation is assisting in the investigation. Our next story from the front page. Iowa's ethanol production set a new record in 2023. Annual ethanol production in Iowa reached a new peak last year of 4.6 billion gallons, according to data compiled by the Iowa Renewable Fuels Association. Given relatively stable ethanol demand over the last few years, it was a pleasant surprise to crunch the numbers and find Iowa ethanol producers are increased production. Again, increased production, said Monty Shaw, who is the association's executive director. Last year's estimated production continued a modest upward trend in recent years at the state's 42 ethanol plants total production was 4.4 billion gallons in 2021, 4.5 billion in 2022. Those figures are substantially higher than the production levels of 2020, when the coronavirus pandemic led to a dramatic decrease in the demand for fuel. Ethanol that is blended with gasoline is the dominant fuel for passenger vehicles in the United States. In 2020, The state's ethanol plants produced about 3.7 billion gallons. Demand for Iowa ethanol has the potential to increase in future years if restrictions on the summertime sales of E15, which is a gasoline blend that is 15% ethanol, are permanently lifted, Shaw said. We also have the opportunity to unlock a new market, sustainable aviation fuel that can drive massive biofuels growth in the next three decades reducing the carbon dioxide emissions that result from ethanol production is important to reach that market, and 25 ethanol plants intend to connect to a sprawling carbon dioxide pipeline system that is under consideration by state regulators. Capturing and sequestering the greenhouse gas at the ethanol plants would result in their fuels being classified as, quote, low carbon. That would also enable those producers to sell to low-carbon fuel markets domestically and abroad. More than half of the corn Iowa farmers produce is used to make ethanol each year. The association also reported that the state's biodiesel production last year held roughly steady at about 350 million gallons. Most of that fuel is made from soybean oil. Now we'll turn to obituaries from the Fort Dodge messenger. Donna I. Lewis, age 72, of Atumwa, passed away peacefully February 1 at her home. It says that her body has been cremated and no services are planned. Jack Janice Fankhauser, so that's F-A-N-K-H-A-U-S-E-R. Uh, Janice Irene Brown Fankhauser, beloved child of God, um, was called home January 31st. Surrounded by her family, Jan has requested to be cremated with no funeral or services conducted. Jackie Kame, I believe it's K-E-H-M, 69, West Des Moines, formerly of Fort Dodge. Passed away Thursday, February 1st at the Harmony Care Center in West Des Moines. Celebration of life, Friday, February 9, 11 a.m., Lutheran Church of Hope in West Des Moines, private burial, later date, in Fort Dodge. There will be a visitation starting at 10 a.m. at the church and lasting until the time of the service. Um, Loretta Brundage, age 85, of Fort Dodge, passed away, surrounded by her family, February 2nd. Funeral services are taking place today at the Loffersweiler Funeral Home. Burial will follow at Saint Olaf Cemetery. Uh, Dorothy Mary Ann Kloss, K L O S S, age 87 of Fort Dodge, passed away Wednesday, January 31 in Adel. Her wish was to be cremated, and a memorial service will be held at a later date in the spring. Uh, Robert Walters Jr., age 56 of West of a uh, Fort Dodge passed away Thursday, February 1st at Unity Point Health Trinity. Uh, services will be held at a later date. Kurt Hill of Eagle Grove, visitation Monday today from 5 to 7 at the Faust Funeral Home in Eagle Grove. Private family graveside services will will uh, be held. Memorial services for Donna Doan, D-O-A-N, will be held at 1 p.m. Friday, February 9, at Lighthouse Ministries. Memorials may be directed to the family. And then we have, moving on a little more local news, the Fort Dodge Police Department has taken a pledge to keep tobacco, alternative nicotine, and vapor products out of the hands of Webster County's underage people. Known as I-Pledge, the program is a partnership with the Iowa Alcoholic Beverages Division to educate local retailers and to enforce Iowa's tobacco, alternative nicotine, and vapor product laws. Since the program's inception in 2000, the statewide tobacco compliance rate has grown to 91% by participation in the program, participating in the program rather, the Fort Dodge Police Department has committed to do its part to increase the compliance rate even more. iPledge places emphasis on retailer training. Clerks who successfully complete an online training course and then pass an exam will become iPledge certified. This allows a retail establishment to use an affirmative defense against a civil penalty if the certified clerk makes an illegal sale. iPledge's retailer training is a great way for clerks to prepare themselves to refuse illegal uh, tobacco, alternative nicotine, and vapor product sales. The training also assists retailers to ensure they maintain a compliant and responsible establishment. Officers will also be conducting compliance checks on local establishments as part of the iPledge program. Underage customers, under the supervision of law enforcement officials, will enter establishments and attempt to buy tobacco, alternative nicotine, and vapor products. Clerks who make the illegal sale will be cited immediately. Criminal penalties for selling tobacco, alternative nicotine, and vapor products to an underage purchaser include a $135 fine for a first offense, $325 fine for second offense, and $645 fine for third and subsequent offenses. However, handing out citations is not the intent of the I-Pledge program. By partnering with the Iowa Alcoholic Beverages Division, they hope to educate clerks and maintain a compliant retail environment in the community. They pledge to keep tobacco and alternative nicotine products out of the hands of underage persons in Iowa. And... Here's something from the Messenger Editorial from the Saturday-Sunday edition of the Fort Dodge Messenger. And it's called, Talking While Driving is a Hazard to All. A bill to end the threat should become law. It's an all-too-common sight on Iowa roads. A driver with a phone pressed to their ear, chatting away while their vehicle weaves in and out of its lanes. Such action could be the beginning of a crash, and in a worst-case scenario, a tragedy. Just how bad is this kind of distracted driving situation? The Iowa Department of Transportation released preliminary numbers for 2022, the most recent year for which statistics are available that answer the question. According to those statistics, there were 1,033 crashes in Iowa that year caused by people distracted by an electronic device. Those crashes killed six people and injured at least 446 others. For several years now, State Representative Ann Meyer, a Republican of Fort Dodge, has introduced a bill intended to help stop that carnage. Her proposal would prohibit talking on a handheld phone while driving or using any other electronic device while behind the wheel unless it is in a hands-free or voice-activated mode. Unfortunately, her common-sense legislation ground to a halt in the House of Representatives every time. The good news is that a very similar bill gained traction and passed in the state Senate last year. That means the bill is still eligible to be debated and voted upon this year. We think it's past time for it to be approved. We urge the legislature to pass this potentially life-saving bill this year, and we call on Governor Kim Reynolds to sign it into law. We realize that drivers who are on a hands-free or voice-activated phone can become so distracted that they could end up crashing. But we believe people looking at their phones, driving with just one hand on the steering wheel, or worse, neither hand on the wheel, is a far greater hazard. This bill would address that hazard, so it should become the law of Iowa. And that is a editorial from the Messenger stats. And we'll finish up with something that I just enjoy. It's international news, but it's great. Sauna patrons dressed only in towels pull two from a car that plunged into a Norwegian fjord. Uh, Dateline, Denmark. Not all heroes wear capes. Some don't wear anything at all. With only two towels around their waists, patrons aboard a floating sauna in a Norwegian fjord rescued two people whose car had plunged into the water. The car appeared to have driven off the quay on Thursday at the I'm not even going to try to pronounce it area where ships dock at the foot of the Norwegian capital, um, Oslo's picturesque medieval fortress and castle. A witness told the newspaper that he saw the car stopped before it suddenly accelerated and ended up in the water. They said that the driver had thought the vehicle was in park when it hit the accelerator pedal. as the car went down. The two occupants escaped and were on the roof as the sauna raft headed toward them. The skipper told the paper that I gave full throttle toward the people who came climbing out of the car, and I reached for them just as the car went under. With good help from two of the guests, we got them up and warmed them up in the sauna. The wooden sauna rafts that operate on the fjord in Oslo are electrically powered and allows them to take part in the much-loved Scandinavian pastime in peace while enjoying the natural beauty of the area, and perhaps taking a naked dip in the icy waters. The car was later recovered from the water. And that's, I I just can't imagine how cold all of that was. And that's all the time we have today for the reading of the Mason City Globe Gazette and Fort Dodge Messenger for Saturday, Sunday, Monday, uh, February 5, 2024. You've been listening to Iris. The Iowa Radio Reading Information Service for the Blind and Print Handicapped. I've been your reader, Mary Frances. Have a wonderful day.